We turn in God's Word this evening to the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans chapter 5, as we consider together tonight uh, chapter 7 and 8 of uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith that deals with God's covenant with us as His people and the mediator of that covenant with us as well. And so uh, to find a passage that I guess I would say covers all of that, Romans chapter 5, I believe does a pretty good job of that. So we begin reading then at verse 1, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely dare die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me just pause there. And say, what Paul has just presented to us is of great assurance. It's great hope. But remember, he is addressing the saints who are in Rome. He is addressing believers. And he's just laid out for us the, the blessings of being in Christ. So referring back to this morning, this is the blessings of light. This is the blessings of the great light that has come. For God has given to us a son. This is the blessing of Christ. Paul's now given to that. That's what we have. Now Paul's going to back up and say, and this is why. This is how it works. This is why you have this glorious hope and promise. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin... For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the trespass of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. 
For the judgment followed one trespass, brought for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow and ask for God's blessing upon it. Our Father, Lord in heaven, we thank you for this, <clears throat> this portion of your word that it explains all of life. Be with those who are, be with Pastor Bob, as he speaks on this word, and this we ask in your name alone, amen. And amen. So we're going to look tonight at two covenants, we're going to look at two representatives, and we're going to look at two results. Two covenants, two representatives, and two results. Now, let's back up and let me give an introduction before we get to the two covenants. How does God, the creator of all, the one who is omnipotent, the one who is omniscient, the one who is holy, the one who is creator, how does this infinite supreme being choose to relate to you and I. I've heard the example given, although it falls far short of our situation, okay, as humanity in comparison to God. The question would be this, how would you as an individual seek to establish a relationship with an ant? How could you, as, as a human being with knowledge and wisdom and insight, with power, with strength, how, how could you seek to converse, to, to establish a relationship with an ant? That's your assignment for the week, and you're probably going to be scratching your head going, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I don't either. I, I don't know how we could ever bridge that gap. Well, understand that the gap between you and I and an ant is a smaller gap than the gap that exists between us and God. So the question is, how does God choose 
to relate? How does God choose to establish relationships of relationship with you and I? And the answer to that is a very important word. God does it by means of covenant. That's God's means. One of the preciousness, one of the things that, that stands out in the Reformed faith is that we are people, even in our documents, but hopefully also in our teaching and in our practice, are people who understand the importance of covenant. Now in today's society, in today's world, even in today's Reformed faith, covenant is not a highly regarded term. And that's because we're, we're, we're so much about in our society today the leveling of the playing field. We, we tend to bring God down and we tend to elevate ourselves. And, and so we think of covenant as some sort of bilateral bargaining agreement that we've reached. That we've sat down at a table with God and we've hammered out this covenant. God's come with his demands. We've come with ours. And we've had to compromise. God's had to compromise. And so there's this thing called covenant, yes, but it's so watered down. It's so mealy. It's so mushy. That you can't really recognize it as biblical covenant teaching any longer. God chooses to relate to us, not in some sort of equal agreement. God comes to us to relate to us as his creatures by means of covenant. He writes it, he establishes it, he gives the parameters of it, he doesn't ask our opinion about it, he doesn't ask for our input about it. He simply says, I as the infinite God of all knowledge, of all wisdom, of all love and all justice know how best to relate to you. And I'm going to do it by means of covenant. Now we're going to talk about two covenants tonight. But in essence... There really is only one. Because the mere fact that God would desire a relationship, a personal relationship with me, with you, of any sort, by any means, is a grace thing. Because he certainly doesn't have to. He certainly doesn't need to. It's certainly not a requirement that is placed upon God somewhere by the rules of the universe that says, Thou, God, must relate to your creatures. There is no such rule. It is only by grace and by grace alone that God enters into any sort of relationship with us. But the relationship that God has with us, indeed with all humanity, from the time of Adam till the time of Christ's coming, is always 
by means of covenant. This is God's way of relating to us. So in that regard, we then talk about there are two covenants that are in operation in the world today. The one is called the covenant of works in which God has come, God has declared to Adam there in the garden, I am going to relate to you, Adam and Eve, as my covenant people, as my creatures, as my creation, and here is the covenant. You need to perfectly obey me. And perfect obedience is going to be this. Thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And on the day that you would eat of it, you have broken covenant. I, as the creator, give to you the following result. You shall die. You shall die. That's the consequence of breaking the covenant. If you keep covenant, you shall live. Life for obedience, death for disobedience. God comes to Adam, the creator comes to the creature and establishes that covenant. We call it a covenant of works. Why? Because it's based upon Adam's obedience or disobedience. It's based upon whether Adam is going to refrain from eating from that tree or if Adam is going to eat. It is a work. It is an act, we could say. Not acting as in a film or play, but an act, an action, a work. So God comes and relates to his creatures in that way. But what happened? Last week, what did we cover? The fall of man. What happened? Adam broke the covenant. God made a covenant. God established the covenant because it's his right as the creator to do so. Adam breaks the covenant. What happens? There is now death. And yet, as we deal with that, as we were in Genesis chapter 3, here come the words as it is of another covenant. Now, it's not because God suddenly, oh, I didn't plan on Adam eating the fruit. I got to come up with plan B. No. This was always the plan. It had been the plan before the foundations of the earth. It had been the plan. It had been God's perfect plan throughout all of eternity. That yes, he would come to Adam there in the garden and establish a covenant of works, knowing that Adam would disobey. God, in his infinite wisdom, has already made another covenant, another plan that we refer to as the covenant of grace. But the stipulations remain the same. The covenant of grace has the same stipulations. There must be perfect obedience, and for perfect obedience there is eternal life 
for any disobedience, there is death. Those terms do not change. What's going to change is who it is that has to fulfill those demands. That's why it's going to be a covenant of grace. So, quick review. There are two covenants in the Bible okay, that, that, that we speak of at this point, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Now, when we talk about the covenant of grace, there are multiple ways in which we see that evidence throughout the scriptures. The covenant of grace is seen there in the garden in a promise. It is seen in, in the life of Abraham in the promise of land, in the promise to be fruitful and to bless him and to be a, a blessing to the nations. It is seen at Mount Sinai in the law. It is seen in the New Testament and today in Christ. And what's going on in the book of Hebrews is not when we read about covenants there, it's not a discussion between the covenant of grace and the covenant of works. It's a discussion between the covenant as seen and fulfilled in Christ as far as the covenant that is fulfilled in the law. But even Sinai is grace. Abraham is grace. Genesis 3.15 is grace. It's all grace. That God would desire a relationship with us creatures in this world. Two covenants. But we hasten on. Those two covenants both have two covenant representatives. That's what Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 5. After telling us the blessings of what it is to be in Christ. Those verses of 1 through 11. The reconciliation, the peace, the life, the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. That even when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. All that message of the gospel that is there. Paul now says, is going back and saying, and here's why. Because verses 1 through 11 fall within the understanding of covenant. God is working things out covenantally. That's why you're experiencing blessings. You say, well, how can that be? I'm a sinner. How can that be? I, I sin just as much as Adam. So Paul goes to great lengths here, starting at verse 12, to talk about the two representatives. That's why we always have the through one man, through one man, through one man, through one man. He's talking about the two covenants. And he's saying in the covenant of works, the representative of that covenant was Adam. Okay? Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. How did we all sin? We sinned because Adam sinned. How did we sin because Adam sinned? Because Adam is the representative. He's the one who was appointed by God to represent every single one of us in the human race. Knowing that if it wasn't Adam but it was Bob who was there in the garden, I would have done the same thing Adam did. 
that if it was Tim, it would have been Tim. Tim would have done the same thing. There is not one single one of us as a human being, male, female, old or young, who would not have done the same thing that Adam did. That's what God knows. That's what it, God's all-knowing knows that that would have been the case. Not one of us can say, well, if I had been in the garden, I never would have eaten of the fruit. Yes, you would have. Say, how do you know that, Pastor Bob? Because God knows it. That's what, he, he, he placed Adam there as the representative. And because he ate, the consequences of breaking that covenant comes to all men. We are all under the covenant of works. Every single human being that exists upon this planet. God expects perfect obedience from every child that is conceived in the womb. God demands perfect obedience. And without that perfect obedience, there is death. How are we conceived? We're conceived in sin. Adam as our representative so infected the world by God's decree. That was the terms of the covenant. That was the terms that God as the creator places upon us as creatures. So you read there, yes, through the one man. Who's the one man? Adam. It's always come back to Adam. It's him. It's him. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. It's Adam. For in one man's trespass. Who's he talking about? Adam. And if you need that clarified a little bit more, go into chapter 6. Okay? It goes on in that regard. But we'll not read all of that. Right? So that, that covenant of works is represented by Adam. His failure is my failure. Adam's failure is your failure. We are all covenant breakers before God. But the other covenant, this covenant of grace, also has a representative. That representative is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, there's a lot going on in there, but the point I, I want you to see is that this other covenant, this covenant of grace that God makes with his creatures has a representative as well. That representative is Jesus Christ. And it's only Jesus Christ. There is no other representative of the covenant of grace. Right? That's what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, about the fact that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important, you see, that God doesn't appoint an angel to be the representative. He couldn't represent us. He's an angel. That's why it's so important that Jesus Christ comes and takes on a human nature that takes on flesh. Because only in that human nature, only in that flesh, could he fulfill the role as our representative. 
Now, what does he do as our representative? Well, Adam represented us in disobedience, in our sinfulness. Christ comes to represent perfect obedience. He is the one that fulfills all of the covenant of works on our behalf. He does it for us. Because God declares that all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have him as their covenant head. So as we go through life, we, we go through going, who do you want to represent you before the throne of God? Who do you want to represent you before the judgment seat on the final day? Do you want Adam to be your representative? Then here are the terms. Death, eternal death. You want Christ to be your representative? That represents obedience. Perfect obedience. The covenant of works can only give you death. The covenant of grace can only give you life. Not because we've obeyed, but because Christ as our representative obeyed. It's like God coming there in the New Testament and saying, Okay, let's press the refresh button. Here is the one to keep covenant. Why is God justified on the day of judgment of sending people who are without Christ to hell? Because he has established a covenant, a covenant of works. Did those people perfectly obey the covenant? No. For as in Adam, all sin. As in Adam, we all fall short. What's the result? Disobedience for all of us. So every human being stands guilty before God. Only those, only those who have Jesus Christ as their representative head in this covenant of grace are given eternal life. See, this, this is the work of this triune God. You have a father, okay, who is about this work, planning, carrying it out. You have Jesus Christ being the action, being the one who fulfills all the demands of the covenant. And then you have the Holy Spirit who comes because God knows that if it were left up to us to have faith in Jesus, none of us would have faith in Jesus Christ. Look at the world. Right? The world is in a hopeless situation. They're despondent. Do they turn to Christ? No, it's their last thought. Want anything to do with Christ? We're going to suppress the truth of God. So what does God do? In his grace. That's why this is a covenant of grace. He gives to us a, a representative who perfectly obeys. Then he sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we have faith in Christ. Because he knows we wouldn't do it on our own. What do we do on our own in the covenant of works? Disobey. We love disobeying. We constantly disobey. 
We enjoy our sin. Look at the world. But in the covenant of grace, with this representative of Christ, as the one who has fulfilled all the law's demands, perfect obedience, who obeys even unto death, Paul writes in Philippians, even to death on the cross, who is willing to bear the shame and the iniquity of our sins, even though he is righteous. And there he is as our representative. Jesus, born, delivered into this world. Some think we we make too much of the birth of Jesus. I think the opposite is true. I think we don't make enough of it. Because we don't understand it and clothe it in the understanding of this glorious covenant of grace that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. This, This ought to open our mouths in praise, not just for four weeks in December, but throughout the year, we ought to constantly be coming back to the gift of God, the indescribable gift of God to us in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, then, what are the two results? Well, notice how Paul okay, tells us in verse 16. He, first of all, he's telling us here about the results of being in that covenant of works. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. What is the result? For judgment followed one trespass. That brought condemnation. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. What would we say? What are the results? The result is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Damnation. Hell. we live and die under the covenant of works there's nothing but eternal death Paul uses words like it includes judgment it includes condemnation the people who need to fear judgment day are the people who are going to be running around saying let the mountains fall on us why because they don't want their sin known They don't want to be exposed before a holy God because they realize they are spiritually naked. Just like Adam in the garden is trying to sew fig leaves together to cover himself. So these people will run and seek to hide, but they cannot. They will be exposed. They will come under judgment. They will come under condemnation. 
and they will suffer an eternity in hell. But those who are under the covenant of grace, look at the words that are described here. Go back again to verse 16. The free gift, excuse me, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of that grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 17, for if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one more man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. What, what are the results? If you're in the covenant of works and only under the covenant of works and die under the covenant of works, there is death. But under the covenant of grace, it's life. Eternal life. Blessed life. Life that, that here we cannot even begin to comprehend the glory and the beauty and the wonder. Life that so far surpasses anything that earth might have. Anything that earth might offer. Any blessing. Any joy. Stop and think about that for a minute. What is it that you think in this world would bring you the greatest joy? Glory. Heaven. Eternal life brings so much more beyond that. It pales into comparison to any joy this earth brings. And in the covenant of grace, the moment, the moment we die, in that instant, we are already beginning to participate in that blessedness. The moment our brother Vern passed this past week. The moment he is in the presence of Christ. But notice the other words that accompany this. It brings justification, we are told. It also brings, we are told, not only justification, it brings righteousness. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Justification. Sin gone. Sin done with. Sin away. Sin no more. It doesn't exist. It's gone. Imagine that. All the sin. That I have committed. All the sins that you have committed. Are gone. They exist no more. They exist no more. And get this. In the mind of God. They're gone. Fully. Completely. To be remembered no more. 
I've mentioned it before, but this certainly brings it out. You and I are not going to stand before God on the day of judgment, and God's going to go, Bob, I remember when you were 13, this is your sin. Bob, I remember when you were 14, you did this. When you were 15, you did this. And I stand there like Adam before God with a fig leaf. No, they're gone. They're not there anymore. Christ has completely washed them away. That's what it means to be in that covenant. Not only that life, but that justification. And then this. Keep reading. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made righteous, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's taking Christ's obedience and applying it to me. Saying, Bob, when I look at you, I look at you as one who fully and faithfully has kept the covenant of works. Lord, how can you do that? Because of Christ. He is my covenant representative. Just like my sin, just like my sinful nature, I got from Adam the righteousness that I possess, the righteousness that you possess, does not come from me, not come from my working and striving. It comes by grace through Christ. And the result is, my desire then ought to be to live for His praise and glory. How can I not but worship Him? How can I not but seek to live a life of obedience. How can I not but seek to strive to live a holy life? And if you think, if Christ is my representative, then I can sin all I want. You're not in the covenant of grace. That's not a heart touched by the Holy Spirit. That's a heart that still says, I can sin and I don't care. That's not a covenant of grace heart. That's not what the Holy Spirit does to us. The Holy Spirit works within us so that there is a passion and a desire that we want to live for God. And when we're in that covenant, we have peace with God. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. We rejoice in the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. say, well, pastor, I'm not there yet. You're not dead yet either. See, this work of the Holy Spirit increasing this passion and desire 
It's an ongoing work. It's an ongoing work. The Holy Spirit continues to work and work and work within our hearts until a day, such as for our brother Vern, we're laying in a bed in a nursing home, and God says, now I'm done. Come home. Come home. Don't get discouraged, fellow Christian. The way is not broad. The way is not easy. The way is narrow. The way is difficult. That leads to eternal life. But the one leading you there is the Holy Spirit. Plot on. Walk in the light. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you for giving to us a mediator, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you that as Adam was once our representative, now Christ is. And this by a work of grace. This not of ourselves. This is your doing. It's Christ who faithfully fulfilled. It's the Holy Spirit who applies. Ah, that blessing. Lord, we thank you. May we ever look to Christ alone. This morning, Lord, we, in our Sunday school class, we ended by talking about the other mediators that are found in other churches. Not fully centered on Christ. Father, as this passage makes so abundantly clear, there is no one, there is no one else who can stand as our representative in that covenant of grace other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is truly in Him alone. Encourage us with this word. Entrust it to our hearts. Build and strengthen us in our walk in our life. Nurture us by the work of the Holy Spirit till that glorious day when we too shall hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ's glorious name we pray and God's people say,